0: You're listening to Oh Brother When Art Thou, and now here's your host, Neil White. Welcome to Oh Brother When Art Thou. I'm your host, Neil White, joined as always by my brother, David. And David, we're trying something a little new today. We're going to do a mini podcast. Just slightly shorter than our usual ones, I think. So this is great for anyone out there who's got a short attention span maybe a little less time to listen today. We'll try and keep it a bit shorter than usual. Just pack a fun story into a shorter time. And so with that, David, we should probably get to it if we're going to get this done in a shorter time. So I'll ask you the question I have to ask. Oh brother, when art thou? Neil, it's
1: December 17th, 1947, and pinchass Ben Porat, a young pilot, is hastily working to tear the door off of the small Polish sports plane that he flies. He needs that door gone so that he can stick a light machine gun off of the side of the plane to try and turn his small air ambulance into a warplane to help him fight in this opening battle in the Israeli war of independence.
0: David, that sounds like a situation you don't want to be in as a pilot trying to rip the door off of your plane to install a machine gun. Shouldn't he have like a warplane or a plane that already has a gun installed? See, the answer to that depends on your perspective. Certainly
1: from young Ben Porat's perspective, that would be very nice. But the United Nations at this time had imposed an arms embargo on Israel. So... from the perspective of international law no no he should not
0: all right so because of the arms embargo he's not allowed to have a proper warplane so what's he using instead what's his plan here well in the immediate sense for ben porat
1: he's flying a light civilian plane he happens to have and hanging machine guns and throwing hand grenades out the window but in a larger sense For leaders like David Ben-Gurion, the first president of Israel, this is not a satisfactory solution. So the Israelis, as a young, forming government in this complex uh, place and period, go looking internationally. They want to find a way to buy arms illegally.
0: Well, we certainly know the Middle East is a complex place, David. Where might they find some illegal arms they can buy? Well, they go looking
1: everywhere. And in many places, they find dedicated volunteers and passionate believers in the cause of Israeli independence, especially at this time, right after the Second World War and the Holocaust. There are many people who want to make it happen. And some of them we might discuss a little bit later on this pod. They're astounding people who achieve a lot. But individual volunteers trying to subvert the law with no support just aren't going to cut it for the kind of quantity of support that the Israeli government is looking for. But then they find a very unlikely arms supplier. His name is Jan Masaryk. And who is Jan Masaryk, David? So Masaryk is the foreign minister of the Czechoslovakian Republic. Now, Czechoslovakia at this point is being taken over. It's being taken over in February 1948, almost at the same time as we're discussing, by the Communist Party. It's already been under the control of the Soviet Union by the end of World War II, but they allowed it to have a more or less democratically elected government operating to actually run the country. And now a communist coup is seizing power, but Jan Masaryk is not a communist. He is a former member of the Czechoslovak democratic government in exile in London, who simply hasn't been gotten rid of yet by the communist forces in Czechoslovakia and he's doing his best to try and solve the economic problems that the communist takeover is causing for his country because they've been cut off from all the Marshall Plan aid that is busily rebuilding
0: Western Europe. Alright, so Masaryk needs a way to get some money. And the Israelis need a way to get some arms. Do we have a match made in heaven here? We certainly have a
1: match. Everybody is willing to do deals. So from the perspective of this pod, where we've been discussing warplanes up till now, what both sides need is some kind of warplane available
0: in Czechoslovakia that they can sell to the Israelis. So the Czechs don't have their own warplanes right now that they can sell. I mean, they have a few in their own air force, but they also want
1: to have an air force, right? They don't want to sell off all of their own planes.
0: So they're going to need to get creative. I'll say that they will. So is it just a matter of the Czechoslovakians being the middleman here? Or are they going to find some planes somewhere else? What's going to happen? So now we need to
1: go back to World War II for a moment. One of the most famous planes of World War II is the Messerschmitt Me 109, the famous Nazi warplane that was the standard fighter aircraft of Nazi Germany for its entire existence. Okay. Many of those planes were built in occupied Czechoslovakia because it was occupied before the war began. So the Czechs, see an opportunity here to restart this line that used to build me 109's for nazi germany and instead sell them to israel and the israelis are okay with that they're not necessarily thrilled but they need modern fighter aircraft fast so they are willing to do this deal but it turns out restarting the production line is not as simple as It initially appeared because the Czechs didn't produce the entire aircraft. They would assemble it, but many of the parts came from Germany. So a team of Czech engineers has to quickly find all of the parts that they had been sourcing from Germany and find equivalent parts in Czechoslovakia. And surprisingly, they manage it in only a few months. The resulting plane is not a great fighter plane by anyone's standards, but it flies, usually. It has guns, and it's better than anything the Israelis have had
0: up to this point. I'm imagining these engineers, David, being like archaeologists piecing together a Like T-Rex. They're trying to figure out all these parts and where they can go and how they fit together. Sometimes you just
1: take a fighter plane, realize you don't have the right engine and can't build it, and slap in an engine for a completely different bomber, and hope that's good enough.
0: What about the arms embargo, David? Is this going to be bad news for Czechoslovakia if they try to sell these planes to Israel? Well, ordinarily, yes, because you would expect the
1: Soviet Union to stamp down on this kind of behavior, but as it happens... Joseph Stalin briefly in 1948 gets the idea that maybe if a communist government is the one to supply arms to Israel the Israelis might be willing to consider becoming communist in thanks. so he gives his blessing and with the Soviet Union refusing to act to enforce the arms embargo the UN doesn't have an effective way to reach beyond the Iron Curtain and
0: punish Czechoslovakia for violating the agreement. So David, the Israelis are getting the fighter planes they needed, albeit they're sort of pieced together, the Czechoslovakians presumably are getting the money from the Israelis for the planes that they needed, so is this a happy ending? In the short term, yes. The
1: Czechs get almost a third of their annual foreign exchange for the year 1948 is Israeli payments for weapons of many different kinds. And the Israelis get the weapons to continue their fight. Now, tragically, I have to add a coda here. Jan Masaryk himself will die, possibly by suicide, but more likely killed by communist agents as one of the non-communist ministers who's refusing to resign, so it would be embarrassing to have Remain and embarrassing to force to leave. And later on, Joseph Stalin's mood will swing from being pro-Israel to anti-Israel, and he will actually randomly execute a group of the very people he instructed to work with Israel for the crime of working with Israel. But overall, considering that this is happening behind the Iron Curtain, for the vast majority of people involved, this is a mutually beneficial transaction.
0: Not often, David, that our podcasts have a happy ending.
1: With a few coda's. but yes, it is nice to have a happy ending here in this of our first mini-podcast
0: all right david we always like to end our podcasts with a quiz usually ask you five questions we have some fun with that today since we're trying to keep it short we're gonna go with just one question for our quiz so this is for all the marbles pressure is on and since i figured david that this would be a high pressure situation i went right to who wants to be a millionaire this is a who wants to be a millionaire question for a million dollars are you ready all right let's go during world war ii U.S. soldiers used the first commercial aerosol cans to hold what? And if you know who wants to be a millionaire, you know you get four answers. Answer A, cleaning fluid. Answer B, antiseptic. Answer C, insecticide. Or answer D, shaving cream. Huh. I really do not know the
1: answer to this question, so I'm going to have to pick One of my options, aerosol cans certainly are used for shaving cream, but it seems a little bit of an anticlimactic use to use for the very first ones. Maybe they were using it for something important. I'll go with cleaning
0: fluid, Neil. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Oh, I'm sorry, David, you're not getting the million dollars today. The answer was insecticide that was in the first commercial aerosol cans used by U.S. soldiers in World War II. But thanks for playing, David. I always enjoy it, Neil. And thanks for listening.